Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Uh, as you take a seat, go ahead and open to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, it's page 224 in the Red Bible as we continue in this series looking at a Christmas prequel of Ruth. Before we do that, let's open it in prayer. Lord, we come again uh, to you, needy people, needy of your word, needy of your truth needy of your redemption in our lives. And so God, pray that you would go to work in us today through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody stops and stares at me. These two teeth are gone, as you can see. I don't know just who to blame for this catastrophe, But my one wish on Christmas Eve is as plain as can be. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. My two front teeth. You've heard it. My two front teeth. I've never read these lyrics, but they're very funny. He goes on to say, gee, if I could only have my two front teeth, then I could wish you a Merry Christmas. It seems so long since I could say, Sister Susie sitting on a thistle. Gosh, oh gee, how happy I'd be if I could only whistle. All I want for Christmas is my two front teeth. Kids, I am wondering, uh, if you could only have one thing for Christmas, what would it be? Go ahead, say it so your parents can hear you. Uh, what would it be? Yell it out. What's, if you could have one thing, what would it be? Come on, kids. What would it be? You don't want anything for Christmas. Parents, you heard it here. They don't want any gifts for Christmas. What do you want for Christmas, kids? Yell it out. Scooter, braces off. Okay, what else? What else? Bike. All right. All right, what's that? Markers. Markers? Oh, that's pretty easy. I like that. So, wish you were my kid. <laughs> Xbox, PlayStation, iPhone. I know you aren't saying those things out loud, but I know that's going through your head, right? As your parents laugh in splendor at not getting you those things. But what about you, adults? I, I don't want you to answer out loud because I feel like your answers might be a little more serious. If you could have one thing for Christmas, anything for Christmas, again, don't say out loud, but what would be that one thing? I'm guessing for many of the adults here, uh, it would be a happy marriage. It would be a healthy home. It would be obedient children. I think we have Uh, during Christmas, a reminder that not all in the world is right. 
that we have a longing for some sort of restoration or redemption because we are reaching out and we are asking God or maybe asking others to fix the broken things in our life. And so we are in a posture of of hoping and, and asking and wandering for restoration, for redemption. And we look to a redeemer for that. In Ruth chapter 4, we actually have four redeemers, four redeemers. And uh, I want to look at those four redeemers today to understand how redeemers and redemption works in our own lives to satisfy the longings of our soul. Uh, Before we do that, I want to very quickly recap, very quickly recap what's happened in Ruth so far, just in case it's your first Sunday or if you just forget what happened. But in Ruth chapter 1, Naomi and her family moved from the promised land to to Moab. uh, And while there, her husband and her children die. Uh, She comes back a bitter and broken woman with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who has a conversion experience and commits her life to the Lord. Ruth chapter 2, because they are in poverty, Ruth goes out to glean in the fields. And by God's kindness, she is led to the field of Boaz, who is a very generous man. And he sends her back to Naomi with this great harvest of, of grain, of barley. And so she goes back and Naomi says, man, who was so kind to you today? And she says, a man named Boaz. And Naomi goes, oh, that is one of our kinsmen redeemers, meaning a relative of Elimelech. Uh, her dead husband, who can marry Ruth and purchase their land and carry on the line of Elimelech. We get to Ruth chapter 3, and Naomi has this divine idea. She proposes to Ruth a proposal that, that Ruth would go and propose to Boaz to marry her, to redeem her, and to carry on the line of Elimelech. Now, Boaz is flattered by Ruth's proposal, overwhelmed, saying it is extraordinary kindness, but wanting to do, uh, do this God's way, he says, listen, there is another redeemer who is closer to you, meaning closer in relationship to your father-in-law, Elimelech, and he has first rights to redeem your property and to marry you. And so he says, let me go and check with that redeemer and I will get back to you. And so we are left hanging in this moment where Ruth and Boaz has this beautiful, wonderful, godly kind relationship, and we want them to get married, but there might be another suitor, another redeemer that might step in and marry Ruth uh, instead of Boaz. And so we are sitting there waiting and longing to see what's going to happen. And so that's where we get into Ruth chapter four, and we get to our first redeemer. And the first redeemer we read up here in Ruth chapter four is a counterfeit redeemer. Look at verse one with me. It says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And that day, the city gate was kind of the place where you would conduct official business. It was a town hall of sorts. I think I even have a picture here of an example of it. 
that right there is from Be- Beersheba. It's not from Bethlehem. But this would have been by the town gate. It was a gathering place where people would come together to conduct official business. And so Boaz is waiting by the gate for the Redeemer to leave his house and go out to his fields for the day. And he spots the Redeemer passing by. And he says, hey, friend, come into this room uh, with 10 of the elders. Now, if I was this guy, I'd probably be afraid they're going to beat me up. But, but, but he knew in that time, in that context, that something official was about to happen, okay? So verse 3 continues. It says, Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you, no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Now, I have to confess to you that I am not an expert on property rights of the ancient Near East during the time of Boaz. I don't quite understand how all the Levite marriages work and things like that. It's never really piqued my interest. But, but what we learn in this passage is that Naomi has the opportunity to sell the land that belonged to her husband and to her, probably to provide for her needs. But along with the sale of the land is attached a marriage to Ruth. And the reason why this marriage to Ruth is attached to it is because something that was very important in that culture was that your name, your lineage would continue. And Elimelech had not only died, but also both of his sons. And Naomi is beyond childbearing age. And so Ruth is the one who can be given to this redeemer to produce a child to carry on the lineage of Elimelech. Now, what's really interesting about this passage is that Boaz says to him, listen, uh, Elimelech's land is now up for sale. And almost before Boaz can continue the sentence and, and mention that Ruth is involved in this transaction, the Redeemer says, I'll take it. I'll redeem it. I want it. And then Boaz continues because I think he's been interrupted because the guy is so eager to purchase this property. He continues and he says, okay, yes, there is a land, but with it you will also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then we get to verse 6, and something very interesting happens. Look with me. It says, then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. This redeemer, who just moments earlier was zealous and excited to purchase the land, finds out that Ruth comes with the package and he, has, he wants nothing to do with her. You see, to marry Ruth was too costly for him as a redeemer. 
He not only had to financially purchase the land, he also had to provide for Ruth and for Naomi. On top of that, he had to give up his firstborn son uh, into the line of Elimelech, and so that might cost him his, his, his name, his reputation, his lineage. Further than that, the land that he purchases from, uh, from Naomi, which is Elimelech's land, as soon as that son is raised, he gets to take that property back over. And so to be a redeemer was an extremely sacrificial thing in that day. Now, the great irony in this chapter is that this redeemer, this primary redeemer that we see for Ruth is so interested in protecting his own lineage and his own name throughout history, and yet he is completely unnamed in this chapter. Certainly, it was the author's intent to show that when you take a path of selfishness, if you take a path of godlessness, that your name does not continue on. Now, verse seven through eight makes this transaction official. And, uh, and it's interesting because this evidently was not even familiar to the people who were originally reading the book of Ruth because it starts at verse seven. It says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his hand. Let's just seem strange to me, but I don't know. It kind of seems cool. I mean, I think if I got a sandal that allowed me to marry Trish, I'd probably frame it and put it on the wall and say, this is, this is the certificate that I was able to marry you. Um, but anyways, that's how they did a transaction is it was like a receipt, okay, a bill of sale of some sorts for the land is saying, here, here's my sandal. You can have the land. I am, I am refusing rights to redeem this land and you can redeem it on my behalf. And so what we see in this passage is a picture of a counterfeit redeemer. Someone who held the name and the claims of a redeemer, but someone who did not fulfill the responsibilities of a redeemer. I don't know if you're aware of this, but our world is full of counterfeit redeemers. Our, our world is full of things that we run to, that we, that, we, that, we, that we obsess over, that we crave, that we think will provide the restoration our soul needs, but in the end is only out for itself. It really provides no redemption to us at all. I mean, just from a, from a visual, physical standpoint, this, this happens, you know, with, with lovers. This happens with, with material things. This also even happens uh, with friendship. I remember when I was a senior in high school. Um, high school, I wasn't really a huge fan of. I loved college. High school, I was just kind of okay with. Um, and I didn't have a lot of friends in my high school. And so I, I, it was coming up on spring break of your senior year, and you're supposed to go do something fun. And so I asked two guys uh, who I was kind of friends with in class, but wanted to become better friends with, if they wanted to go to Florida to my sister's house. And they were very excited to go to Florida to my sister's house. And so one of them had a car, which was an advantage to me. And so we hopped in the car and we headed down to Florida to my sister's house. We were there for a day or two. I can't remember how long it was, but all of a sudden they just disappeared. They left without saying anything to me. And they were gone. And then at the end of that spring break trip, they came and picked me up and there was a very awkward 10 hour ride home. 
because these folks, they didn't want me. They just wanted Florida. They just wanted my sister's house. I had hoped that these would be my friends, but in the end, they were, they were, they were not really friends. They were counterfeit friends, and there was counterfeit redemption there. You know, there are so many things that we can run to for redemption. It can be friends. It can be the Packers. I know for many guys, they run to electronics thinking this is a way of escaping from the stresses of my life and going into another world. And what happens is it spirals downward into addiction, into compulsive behavior, and all of a sudden they can't sleep at night and their sleep patterns are off. This happens multiple times. This is, a, this is a pretty common experience. And all of a sudden they have these sleep problems and they can't function, and they, they don't realize that it goes back to this addiction to video games. And, and there's plenty of things. I mean, video games are not bad by, in and of themselves, but, but anything that we obsess over, anything we run to to be our redeemer will always fail us. It is always counterfeit. And so let me ask you, when you are overwhelmed by life, where are you tempted to run for redemption? Where are you tempted to escape? Those redeemers are insufficient. They're good gifts from God typically, but they are counterfeit redeemers. And so first we see here a counterfeit redeemer. Secondly, we see in this passage a willing redeemer. Look at verse 9 with me. Says, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and to Malon. That's Elimelech's sons. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife. He paid the bride price to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Given what we read in Ruth chapter three about Boaz being overwhelmed and flattered by Ruth's proposal and saying we have to put this on pause and check with another redeemer, you can almost hear the joy and the excitement running out of Boaz as he proclaims, you all are witnesses today that I will be marrying Ruth. He is a willing redeemer. He is an excited redeemer. He is a rejoicing redeemer. Verse 11 continues, says, And all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. From Rachel and Leah came the 12 tribes of Israel. Rachel and Leah were blessed with fertility. And they say, May it be so with you. May you build up the people of God. And then they say, May you act worthily in Ephrathah, which is another name for the region of Bethlehem, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Perez, if you know this story, uh, we've called it the naughty chapter. It's a little bit scandalous, but Perez was an older man uh, who, who was tricked into uh, sleeping with his daughter-in-law uh, who was younger, and through that bore a child named Judah. And, and what we read in Genesis 49 is that as Jacob is prophesying over 
his sons. He says of Judah, which is amazing, this, this person that was born in a very scandalous way, he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, saying that the king will come from the line of Judah. And so here they are pronouncing, they're saying, you are coming from the line of Judah, and may that lineage of kingship come through your line. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. The second redeemer we see here in Ruth chapter four is Boaz. And it is, he is much different than the first redeemer. The first redeemer is reluctant. He's rejecting. And yet here we see Elimelech who is ready and eager to redeem, ready and eager to bring restoration to Ruth, ready and eager to marry Ruth and bring restoration to the land of Elimelech and to the line of Elimelech. Boaz is a picture of a godly, sacrificial, loving redeemer who is seeking to be an agent of God's redemption in the world. And so let me ask you, When you look at these first two redeemers, which picture of God do you have? Do you think of God as this reluctant redeemer who's just merely putting up with you, who who loves you but doesn't really like you? A a, a redeemer who wants your, your money, he wants your obedience, he wants your stuff, but he really doesn't want you? Or do you see him as a willing redeemer, an eager redeemer, a ready redeemer who delights in you. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Yesterday uh, morning, I was working on my sermon and one of my kids who I won't name because it will probably embarrass them, but but, but they were playing basketball, and, uh, and so we'll call, we'll call this child Chris. <laughs> and and uh, so, so I'm working on my sermon, and at 9.04 a.m., I get this text. Chris rebounded and got two points, exclamation point. My response, yay! 9.44 a.m., swisher outside, smiley face. My response, nice. Is he, doing moving, is, is he doing good moving away from the ball? He was doing pretty good last time. Trisha's response, yes, he's aware, which surprises me. My response, I love that boy. Trisha's response, right? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I just want to go out there and kiss him. He had another swoosh, but had a double dribble. My response, go ahead and do it. (laughs) I'm sure the kids would love it, right? If mom rushes the court and picks up the child and hugs and kisses the child. In Matthew 7, it says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is heaven give good things to you who ask for him? Christians, we do not have a stingy redeemer. We don't have a reluctant redeemer. We have a redeemer who is overjoyed by you, who delights in you, who is eager to be with you. I don't know if you know this, but when you have a double dribble, when you mess up, when you sin, when you are struggling, God is not standing there going, oh man, I didn't see that coming. He's not sitting up there saying, oh, I guess I still have to love him. The Lord rejoices 
to receive you and to pour out grace and mercy upon you. He delights in you. And if that's what human parents can do, how much more can a divine God do that? He is a willing and ready and eager redeemer to receive you, to receive you, to receive you at any time, any place, no matter where you are in life. He is an eager and willing redeemer. And so here we have a portrait of two redeemers so far. First, we have a reluctant counterfeit redeemer, but secondly, we have a ready and willing redeemer in Boaz who mirrors the readiness and willingness of our redeemer, God. The third redeemer we have in this passage is a baby redeemer. Now, before we read these verses, it's important to note, which seems very interesting, but these passages are primarily focused on Naomi, a woman who came to Bethlehem very, very bitter, broken, and empty, okay? So let's look at verses 13 through 15 together. It says, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Now, at this point, we don't know who that redeemer is. Maybe we're thinking it's Boaz. That's who I thought it was. But it continues. Verse 15 says, he shall be to you a restorer of life. That's what redeemers do. They restore life and a nourisher or provider of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And so the redeemer that they are speaking of to Naomi is the one to whom Ruth has given birth to. They are saying that this child, who will find out his name is Boaz, is a redeemer in your life. And the question is, how can a baby be a redeemer to Naomi? Well, first off, you can ask any grandma in here, (laughs) anytime a grandbaby is born, there's a little bit of redemption. There is joy that cuts through bitterness. But, but as you continue, what you see here is that Boaz's responsibility as he grew up was to provide for his Naomi, to care for Naomi, to bring the goodness of God to Naomi. You see, Boaz was an instrument of God's redemption and love. I'm sorry, God brought Obed, the child's name, as an instrument of God's redemption and restoration to Naomi. Verse 16 continues. It says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, and again, this is interesting, a son has been born to, not Ruth, to Naomi. They named him Obed. The name Obed means servant of God or worshiper of God. And so the neighborhood women gather together and they say, hey, this is our hope for this child, that this child will worship the Lord God, that, they, that he will be obedient to the Lord God, even in the time of judges, even when everyone is doing right in their own eyes, that he may be faithful to the Lord. It wasn't that they had naming rights over this child. It was an engagement with Naomi. And this is what their hope was for this child, that he would worship the Lord and serve the Lord. You know, it's kind of funny as I read through this passage because 
my, my naming is similar to Obed's in some ways, which is kind of ironic. Um, my mom told me, I don't know, maybe when I was a teenager, that the reason why she named me Dan, Danny, you can't call me Danny, she can call me Danny, no one else can call me Danny, but the reason why she called me Danny, which is, which is short for Daniel, uh, is because she, I have four older brothers and sisters, Richard, uh, Ricky, Kimmy, Scotty, Tammy, okay? And, and my neighbor, uh, Edna Baker, uh, who lived next door, she said to my mom, how about you give this child a biblical name? And so she's like, okay, what, any ideas? How about Daniel? And so I was named Daniel. The neighborhood women gave me my name. It's, anyways, it's just kind of interesting as I read this story. Now, Daniel uh, means God is my judge, which is very ominous and very scary. Uh, I'd prefer Obed in some ways, but, but that's how I got my name. And so here we read, this is the desire of these women that this child would grow and be a godly redeemer like Boaz. And of course, as we look at this and we hear about a baby redeemer born in Bethlehem, we cannot help but hear the echoes of Christmas in that. And so that's what brings us to our final point, which is this Christmas connection, which is that God also brings to us a future redeemer. Look at verse 17 with me again. It says, And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So this verse tells us that at least the very earliest that the book of Ruth was written was during the reign of King David. Now, King David was the greatest king in Israel. And what we're told here is that Obed is the grandpa of King David. Verse 18 through 19 kind of goes back further in the genealogy and brings it back to David. Verse 18 says, Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. I know when we read genealogies in our Bible, our eyes sort of glaze over. We kind of check out. We may wonder why this book of Ruth, an amazing love story of Boaz and Ruth, ends with genealogy. It almost feels like this is the credits that roll at the end of the movie. It's not really all that important. But here's the thing, the reason why the book of Ruth ends with genealogy is because the book of Ruth is not primarily a love story between Boaz and Ruth. It's primarily a love story between God and his people. We see God's love for his people individually and personally as God, God brings redemption and restoration to Naomi's life. But we also see God's restoration and redemption of his people through this genealogy. You see, like I, I mentioned, King David was the best king in Israel. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David reclaimed much of the promised land for the promised people. King David helped restore the worship of God and the delight of God and joy in God. King David was a godly king, not a perfect king, but a godly king. David was a big deal for this original audience, and so they rejoice at this story of Ruth and Boaz and Obed because they rejoice that God had 
brought from it King David, who would bring redemption to Israel. They rejoiced at this lineage that led to King David because that's as far as they could see. But we, the church, can see even further down the corridor of time. Did you know that outside of the book of Ruth, Ruth's name is only mentioned one time in the rest of the Bible? In the rest of the Bible, Ruth's name is only mentioned one time outside of the book of Ruth. And it comes in the first book of the New Testament. Matthew 1.5, a long genealogy, says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Says, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And then you scroll down to the end of the genealogy, and it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Again, we thought Ruth was a love story between Boaz and Ruth, but we are reminded here that it is a love story between God and his people, that God loved us so much that he sent us the ultimate redeemer, the baby redeemer, the willing redeemer, who came and lived the perfect life, who came to teach us the ways of God, the truths of God, the joys of God, but also the baby, the redeemer, who would give the ultimate sacrifice, not just financially, not just relationally, but would lay down his own own life for our sin upon the cross and raised to new life to give us redemption and restoration where we need it most in our relationship with God. You know, I started with one Christmas song. Let me end with another Christmas song. It's actually a song I don't care for personally, but the lyrics are helpful. It says this, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There's just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents under the Christmas tree. I just want you for my own. More than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. All I want for Christmas is you. Usually that's sappy and I change the station and I don't like it. But this is the message of Christmas. That what God wanted for Christmas was you and me. He wanted his people to be restored, to be redeemed, and to be with him for all eternity. Listen, you may, you may, you may not get your two front teeth for Christmas or a hippopotamus or an iPhone 75. But remember, at Christmas, we celebrate that God has not only given us redemption. He has given us a redeemer. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this great gift of your son. Thank you for your great love for us, for a people who are so undeserving. You are a God that delights to love in us that delights to pour out forgiveness and mercy upon us when we fail time and time again. Lord, we thank you, not just just for bringing Christ at Christmas, but for your great love for us that sent Christ at Christmas to redeem us and purchase us back to yourself. May we sit in the joy of that redemption this Christmas season. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.